millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My next guest has an extremely impressive professional profile. He's an author, renowned speaker, PhD candidate studying the neuroscience of mindfulness. He's also a university lecturer. It's extremely hard to believe that this same man was so far down the rabbit hole of drug addiction only as recently as 2013. An addiction that very nearly killed him, an addiction that was caused by needing to escape from crippling anxiety and overthinking. It took reaching absolute rock bottom for him to start to implement change and finally take control of the anxiety that had been controlling his life. And I'm so glad he did, as he's now one of the happiest people around. I'm delighted to introduce Brian Penny from Monday Motivation. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, Chanel. The, the wonderful intro. Oh, not, a, not at all. So, so, so deserved. Uh, but Brian, can you pinpoint the first time in your life that you had an anxious thought? Because I know this was something that really plagued you right from childhood, wasn't it? Yeah, it really did. Um, and, and to be honest, the, the answer is I don't think I realised back then. I wasn't fully aware of it back then. But on reflection, there's one moment specifically that I go back to where I realised the crazy thinking that, that sort of caused the, the anxious thoughts. Like, anxious thoughts are always fears about the future. And there's one thing that always jumped out at me. And I remember I was, um, I think I was like seven or eight years of age at the time. And I was watching, um, the night before this happened, I was watching a film with my dad. And I think it was the Vietnam War. I'm not 100% sure. But there was these, like, sirens going off in a field. Like, the sirens, or the, the, bomb, the bombings coming, coming into the, to the, to the soldiers. And I remember, it, it didn't bother me much at the time. But I remember the next day or a day, day or two later, I was up in my room, playing in my room, and I heard these sirens outside. Um, I, I don't even know what they were. I never found out what they were. Mm. But I remember just thinking, oh my God, it's World War Three. We're, we're all going to die. But it was like I had this fear of my family dying. It was a huge fear that I always had as a kid. I'm not too sure where I came from. And I remember just running down the stairs really quickly to warn everybody, but then realizing, wow, that's, that's really weird. That's a really strange thought. And I didn't tell anybody. And the, f- the funny thing is, I never told anyone about my anxious thoughts, these kind of fears that I had. And that's something that always comes back to me anytime I think of that. I always think of myself as having these sirens in my head as a kid growing up like this internal mm. that never stopped. That's an awful lot of, you know, that's a big thing to have on on the shoulders and in the mind of, of, of somebody so so young. But, you know, you, you this was something as well that you didn't really have language, obviously, for as well. You know, you're, you, you were growing up as well in a fairly disadvantaged area. Um, you know, like people didn't have language for this sort of thing. People turned to other things to, to, to kind of escape. And that's exactly what you did. Were drugs readily available uh, to you even from a from a young age, Brian? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in like it's it was a disadvantaged area, and it, drugs were everywhere. To be quite honest, drugs were everywhere, and it really felt like it wasn't will I do drugs. It was it was the question was what drugs will you do and when will you do them? Really, what looking mm-hmm. back, really was the question. I think that was the question at the time. You know, I I I was I was quite good at football, and I always um I always seen I was never going to be a professional footballer. I wasn't good enough for that, but I, I thought I was inspired to be that. I didn't see myself going down that route, 
But I think just with drugs being everywhere, all around us, I just started, the curiosity got the better of me and I started messing around when I was 14 years old. 14? Yeah. Right. So, you know, I imagine then for somebody with a mind like you had with sirens going off all the time, overthinking all of that, taking drugs provided that escape. And I know you described the feeling in your memoir uh, of taking drugs as like a big blanket being wrapped around you. Yeah, a soft blanket being wrapped around me. So, and to be honest, when we started off, when I started off at 14, it would have been like petrol, hash, um, acids like that so that wouldn't have been the soft blanket so mm. to speak it probably exasperated me anxiety but I try I, I start messing around with um, opiates when I was like heroin when I was 16, 17 and I'll never forget the first time doing heroin it was just like that blanket just wrapped around me so and just took the anxiety away you know obviously it brought me to hell really quickly mm. so it's it's like it's not a good idea to go down that route of course but um, that's what it was like it was the comparison of being so to having that stillness for a few hours and I, I just wasn't strong enough to, to even think about going down a different route. That was just where I was going to go. Yeah, and you you know, you were a fully-fledged addict, functioning addict by 21. You had a fairly good job. You could function, as I said. You, you even told yourself that you weren't a real hardcore addict, something a lot of addicts actually do. They like to, to kind of lie to themselves an awful lot. Isn't that right? Yeah, definitely. And I, I would describe, like, in book as well, like, if people probably think it's about addiction, I need to talk about self-deception. Like, I didn't think I was a real addict. Start selling drugs, the fun addiction. I didn't mm. think I was a real dealer. I, didn't, I just did self-deception. I used to call myself, well, not at the time, but since, I, since I've gotten into recovery, I was a, literally a black belt in self-deception. And I could cross any boundary by just tweaking the narrative in my head, tweaking my little story, telling myself lies and believing them. And then I could act, act upon them. It was a very, very strange kind of behaviour that I only found out about when I reached recovery. Yeah, and, and this is the thing because in 2013 you reached rock bottom, drugs destroyed your life and it was then you decided to take drastic action. You talk about it as being the most painful and most important night of your life. This is when you decided to, I suppose, self-detox, isn't that right? That's it, yeah. And, and for me, um, like, so I, I was functioning for a long time and what happened then, I stopped functioning completely and I lost, I literally lost everything in life. Like I lost my job, I lost my mind, I lost every relationship in my life. So I had no choice to go down a different route and I started seeking professional help to get clean. So I was, I was actually in a, a health risk for a detox because of the amount of benzodiazepines in my system and other drugs in my system. So I, ha- I had to detox at home. And well, I didn't have to, I could have waited, but I just needed to, I, I just, something in me, being was just telling me you need to do this now so I says right I'm going to do this detox at home I can't wait I was afraid of waiting and I described that as you said like not only the most painful night in my life the most important and what actually happened I had a a grand mal convulsive seizure it was like a full convulsive seizure where literally every cell in my brain fired at the same time that's what happens and it basically convulsed all of my muscles and I drove my teeth through my tongue and what what happened that night, that was like the most painful thing in my life. And physically, obviously, the tongue mm. was horrific. But it was more the emotional, mental and physical torture of that whole night. Like, my me, me family thought I was dead. Ambulances to the, to the home. I can't remember much of it at all. I was brought to the hospital. And I remember waking up in the hospital. That's the main memory I do have. And me, I was trying to get up off the trolley. I was in a room on my own. And I remember just my eyes fixating on this fire extinguisher that was on the wall. 
And I remember looking at it. It was like it was like there was a tunnel vision transfixed by this fire extinguisher. And I was trying to make sense of it. And it didn't really make sense. It was like, it's a fire extinguisher. And I was saying, what colour? It's, it's red, that's red. But I couldn't put the words together, the concept together. I, the, the best way I describe it is like links of a chain that I knew belonged together. But I didn't know how it went together. I didn't know how they went together anymore. Yeah. It was really strange. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, yeah, that's it, you're brain damaged. You're absolutely brain damaged. And as I, as I often describe it, the old me would have been terrified, panic attack, anxiety. And I remember waiting, as I said, I started to lean back down on the trolley, waiting for a sort of fear to come over me. And it didn't. I remember just thinking, oh, I can't do this anymore. I can't fight with my own mind. I didn't realise I was doing that at the time. But I said, I can't do this fight anymore. I can't keep up this facade and keep up this this the defense of me addiction, the story that I told myself, really, that's what I was trying to defend all the time. Mm. And it was like I just surrendered and I just gave up. And that, I believe, was the moment that changed my life. I left, I left the space for me to completely transform my life for something else to come in. And it's what a powerful image that you're, you're creating there for us, you know. So this was the start of you becoming Brian that we're talking to today. But tell me about Two Days Clean because you did eventually get into a detox um, facility and programme. And then, you know, Two Days Clean, you absolutely start to feel amazing, not just physically, but mentally. It's like you have this complete epiphany, really, about where your life needs to go. Isn't that right? Yeah. Percent, and it was it was funny. It was kind of happening in sports days before that, and before me first day clean, I was having these. I was I was I, I learned about Eastern philosophy and meditation. I'd never heard of these concepts before. I was like, wow, how have I never heard of these concepts before? And psychological, outside psychological stuff we are learning about. And but when, when I was a day or two clean, um, I I I I I was unsure whether it was a second day clean or the fourth day clean. But it was one of them days. I remember I just well, I was on a detox facility on a farm. And I just walked out onto the farm one of the mornings and I just felt absolutely amazing. It was like, what I described it like, it was like every, the world that was once hollow just became full of life. It was a, it was a beautiful, dew-soaked morning in October. And I remember it looked just, the, 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 the dew drops were like diamonds. The, the sky was like glistening. It was just, the whole world just came alive. And what, I, what I've since realised, and this is where I went into the stuff with my PhD and, and um, on my own sort of independent research while studying this stuff, what, what I came to realise was that my mind went quiet. So I used to have a very busy mind, a tormented mind, the voices always worrying and, and uh, just, just this incessant chatter that always went on. Mm. And what I found was that my mind went quiet. And when my mind went quiet, it was like anxiety left me. And I left this kind of a space just to be in the moment and to feel sensory perceptions like touch, feel, see, sight, and all of nature. And this is this is this still fascinates me to this day. And I think that was a huge change in the psyche that just gave me gave me a way to just look at life from a completely completely new perspective. So this is what brought you on the path and you know what you're describing there you're obviously just started to appreciate the small things in life and the wonders of of nature and everything else around you so you're you're sitting in rehab and detox you're feeling good but how do you become Brian that's talking to me today the hugely successful drug free in control of anxiety Brian because it could have been so easy for you to give in and go back down the rabbit hole of drugs once you left rehab. 100% 100% tonight, and, I, and I'm pretty, uh, you can't be saying about anything, but this is something I am I am pretty sure about what, what happened to me here that's a little different. So 
So I basically became, you could say, I switched addiction. I became so curious about life. And in the real world, now we call it drive or curiosity. Mm. There's better words. Like, you can't have a positive addiction. Like, yeah. you know, I got into exercise, nutrition, learning. And I really just hooked my addictions onto a more positive, into a more positive mindset. And I think that's just what carried me forward. I just, I became very excited about life, very excited about learning about all of these new things and, and about sharing what I was learning with other people. Like, that's why I got into academia and stuff as well. Like, I wanted to learn what happened to me, where, where, what, what caused my suffering, what, what made me feel so amazing and how I could share with others. And it was just that purpose, I think, that I had as well and this, this curiosity that just drove me forward. And I think that was a big difference with myself. And that's what that, that's what led you to where you're, you are today. And I know you're doing yeah. so much in terms of mindfulness and everything else. But, you know, if you were to say, go back in time, right, and have a chat with young Brian, Brian, who has aspirations of being a football footballer, Brian, who's living with those sirens that you're talking about of anxiety in his head. Now, you can't change anything that's going to happen to that Brian, but you can impart some words of wisdom to him. What would you like child Brian to know? Right, there'll be a, there'll be a couple of the one the one thing that I'd really I really have to say, and whether whether he would have listened or not is another thing because it's fear was the thing that was driving. But what I would have said to him was, don't be afraid of your feelings, don't be afraid of your emotions. That they will pass, they, it will be uncomfortable, but they will pass. But embracing your feelings is where the beauty of life actually lives. Like it's in your challenges, your vulnerabilities, your suffering, and your fears. That's where that's where that's where the beauty of life actually lives and where transformation really occurs. So what I would have saying is don't be afraid of your emotions. Feel your emotions, embrace your emotions, and even if they are scary, they will pass. And then it's where true connection lies and life really lives. So that that'd be the that'd be the advice I try to give them. That's a wonderful things, you know, absolutely that you'd want any child to know, Brian, that's for sure. Finally, you know, I, I often find that people like you who are living their best lives and, you know, you describe yourself as the happiest person, you know, <laughs> you have a very specific morning routine. Can you tell us about your morning routine, Brian? Yeah, I have a very, very, very specific morning routine. And there's a couple of key parts. But do I have an acronym for my morning routine? Because it's five parts P, so it's MAVIC, M-A-V-I-G, it's morning routine. Okay. So med- meditation, affirmations, visualization, inner child work, and gratitude. Now, there's two. There's two pieces of that that I really. Meditation is very important to me as well, and just having a bit of presence in your life. But the visualization and the gratitude are two things that really combine that I think are really, really important. And I'm going to talk about them just in 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 one yeah. area really. So for gratitude, what I would do is I I I get very I I think of something I'm really grateful for. And I really focus on it and I really visualize what I'm grateful for and I feel them feelings. So, for example, um, I, I often think of uh, my nephews who I wouldn't be in their lives today if I was still in addiction. And I'd say, I'm so grateful for the joy that my nephew smiles and playing with them, what, what he brings into my life. I'm so grateful for the joy that it brings into my sister and her husband's life, the joy that their smiles and their energy brings into their lives. And to my grandparents, and even while we're on this lockdown, the joy it brings into their lives while we do video calls and stuff yeah. like that. And instead of having a list, I really focus on one thing. And when I'm thinking of that as well, what you what you do is when you're being grateful for something, even memories or whatever, whatever it is yourself, focus on that and visualize that and feel them feeling strongly. And this stuff is grounded in science, like basically the visual cortex of your brain. If you're having a great moment, 
will fire neurons, will activate the dopamine system in your brain and make you feel great. But when you're visualizing that stuff and you're being really, really grateful for it, like gra- being great, gratitude and being grateful is such a powerful state to be in. Like, so you're basically feeding yourself with a biological dose of, of uh, positivity in the morning before you actually start your day. Oh, Brian, you know, and it's something that an awful lot of people that do Monday Motivation with me go on and on about, and me me as well. It absolutely, you're so, so right. And particularly now, I think we even have to grasp onto even something small like that at the start of the day to, to help us get through it. Absolutely, you know. Yeah, and, and the start of the day is really important as well because really you're priming yourself for the day. Like meditation primes to be more present gratitude to be more grateful if you visualize your goals you're priming yourself to take action throughout the day so i think a morning routine is just really really important absolutely well listen brian it's been wonderful having you i'll just read out some of the comments that are coming into me as we're chatting absolutely amazing inspiration you've proved recovery is there for all of us congratulations recovery is possible never give up on yourself well done brian amazing work thank you for sharing your story fair play such an inspiration i can go on and on uh grace also saying in dundalk um thank you uh, for that guy who's on right now uh, my mum asked me to listen for a reason and she also shouts out to Taurus as well uh, so obviously people who are going through the similar thing as yourself Brian you're absolutely proven to be such an inspiration for, for people listen thank you so so much for chatting to me on the show today thanks so much for having me I really enjoyed it thank mm-hmm. you